Support for Need to Know comes from the Carnegie Corporation of New York, supporting innovations in education, democratic engagement, and the advancement of international peace and security. Learn more at Carnegie.org. Welcome to the Need to Know podcast from the Wilson Center, a podcast for policymakers available to everyone. Always informative, nonpartisan, and relevant, we go beyond the headlines to understand the trend lines in foreign policy. Welcome back to the Need to Know podcast, and I'm very happy to have with me as a guest today our CEO, former Congresswoman Jane Harmon from the Wilson Center. Jane, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Aaron. I'm proud of these podcasts. Well, it certainly is a is a great project. I'm happy that you've you've let us do so many podcasts at the Wilson Center. We get, each program seems to have started a podcast during quarantine, and I'm glad that we're we're one of them. So I wanted to have you on as a as a former member of Congress. You also served as a staffer in Congress, and with all the events that occurred on January sixth, I guess let's start off. What are your thoughts as far as your experience of being a member and a staffer? When you were watching these events unfold, what were you what were you thinking about? Well, let me say that I was a staffer in the Senate in the early 70s, uh, staffer on the Senate Judiciary Committee when Richard Nixon uh, uh, provoked the Saturday night massacre, which some may remember as the resignation of the attorney general, the deputy attorney general and so forth, because they refused to fire uh, a special prosecutor named Archibald Cox, who was looking into Watergate. And when that happened, I came out on my porch in Georgetown and I expected rifle fire in the streets. I really thought our government was unraveling. Guess what? It didn't. It actually got stronger. I was then a member of Congress during 9-11 and was walking toward the dome of the Capitol uh, when my office called me back and said, the Capitol's closed, come back to your office. And by the time I got near there, the offices were closed. But I was walking to the dome of the Capitol because I was the co-chair of the Intelligence Committee Subcommittee on Terrorism. And we were meeting about potential attacks on the United States. And that dome was, everyone thinks, the intended target of the fourth plane that went down in Pennsylvania. So talk about another scary event. And I also had a daughter in high school in in Washington at the time and couldn't reach her because the cell towers uh, collapsed. But we came back from that event. This time, when I saw the Confederate flag, uh, anti-Semitic t-shirts, and heard there were weapons inside the Capitol and members and staffers running for their lives uh, was the scariest. And I know so many of those people and I put myself in the position of a member or a staffer and I realized that uh, security had collapsed, that a bunch of crazy people were running around and I really feared that our government would come unglued. It was the scariest moment in my long, long, long decades in politics. So it seems like this could be a moment for reconciliation and maybe like a touch the stove moment for both parties to say, yeah, we've, you know, the rhetoric's gone too far on both sides. Maybe we should try to figure out how we talk to each other now. Words matter. So, is, is that the case? Do you think that there's this opportunity for reconciliation going forward, or are you seeing them entrench again? I think the opportunity's there. I think the most 
talented person to seize the opportunity is President-elect Joe Biden. He has reconciliation and healing in his bones, and he has walked through fire with his, the personal catastrophes in his own family. Um, however, there has to be uh, more than just a an instinct for it. There has to be a way to make the machinery support it. And that's what seems to be missing. Uh, I've said for years now, sadly, uh, that um, neither party really wants uh, to compromise. Bipartisanship is a dirty word. Both parties have a vested interest in blaming the other side for the lack of progress. That's the muscle memory of our recent politics. And unless we can figure out a way to make that, to change that, it's gonna be extremely hard, extremely hard to uh, make this moment what it could be. Could it be that kind of moment? Yes, it could be that kind of moment. Uh, if there, if we can clone, clone Liz Cheney, and maybe if we can uh, clone, I'm trying to think of someone on the other side who is really a, a healer, uh, clone Steny Hoyer. I think if we clone those people, uh, then we have a better chance. You were talking about President-elect Biden and his ability to do this. Do you really think that the events of January 6th and its aftermath, is that going to change how he governs, um, change some of the the patterns that he was already into? Or, or do you think that Biden is Biden and he's going to govern the way he is? Well, we've seen Biden since January 6th. We saw him last night announce uh, what to me seems like a very sensible economic package. We absolutely know that his number one focus will be on uh, getting through this pandemic nightmare and then helping the nation recover. We know that he sympathizes and empathizes and has compassion for the suffering in the country, which the current president doesn't. It doesn't even acknowledge. So uh, those are good starts. Uh, what are the bumps in the road? One is what we just talked about, which is this uh, endemic part, uh, partisanship where uh, blaming the other side is more important than working with the other side because otherwise you get primaried. Um, that's a bump in the road. Another bump in the road, uh, I think, is uh, how to deal with uh, Senate action on impeachment. Uh, I think the Senate has to act. I don't think they can punt. Uh, I think what the House did was clear and correct. Uh, and I do think senators have to stand up. But if this is a total distraction from the Biden first hundred days, that's a problem. So everyone's working on a two-track system. Uh, and maybe that can work. Um, I hope it can work. I hope that Mitch McConnell can help make it work. So, uh, you know, a, a, a big moment for him. You know, instead of being Mr. No, he has a chance to be uh, Mr. Get Through This. And that would be, I think, a huge uh, accolade for him if he could earn that. I want to turn now to a topic that you're well familiar with, which, of course, is intelligence. Having served on the Intelligence Committee in the House, you know, it seems like when we look at the events of January 6th, there were some intelligence failures, much like we saw on 9-11, maybe. So what are your thoughts on that? You think? Uh, yeah. I mean, we were unprepared. Let's go there. I don't think it's fair uh, just to call it an intelligence failure. Um, I think some agencies were on it, but the coordination was non-existent. 
and the uh, most people downplayed the threat. So, uh, and there's the possibility of complicity by some uh, up in the Capitol, or at least those are allegations, need to be proved, but those are allegations. Yeah, I spent eight years on the House Intelligence Committee, four of them as ranking member after 9-11. To remind, 9-11 was a catastrophic intelligence failure, and then the um, uh, the National Intelligence Estimate on weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, which followed it and which led to war against Iraq, uh, was also catastrophic intelligence failure. So uh, a number of us um, uh, banded together on a bipartisan basis to propose reform of the intelligence community, and we were successful against opposition from Dick Cheney, then the vice president, uh, a guy named Duncan Hunter, the father, who was then chairman of the House Armed Services Committee, uh, and uh, a few others. Um, We also had support, uh, most notably in the end from George W. Bush, the president, which was kind of helpful. And there were a few brave Republicans, this is during the Bush administration, in Congress. One is my dear friend, uh, Senator Susan Collins, and another one was uh, my chairman, I was ranking member, uh, Pete Hoekstra. Uh, who was enormously brave about this. Anyway, we set up the uh, Director of uh, National Intelligence and uh, as a coordinator across 16 intelligence agencies, and all of a sudden stuff got a lot better. What is wrong now? What is wrong now is the basically gutting of leadership across the IC by um, some in the White House. Uh, instead of uh, career professionals, people who really know what they're doing, and or people who have experience and a steady hand like Dan Coates, we now have all kinds of acting folks, and we have a, a junior member of Congress, Radcliffe, who are not sufficiently qualified to do their jobs. And why does this matter? Because uh, without uh, experience and credibility and morale, uh, we can't Uh, collect and analyze the information to speak truth to power. The intelligence communities don't make policy. They give policymakers the facts to make better policy. And for sure, uh, on January 6th, uh, we didn't have good enough intelligence. And can't blame it all on the federal agencies. I mean, there was uh, the Capitol Police, uh, which is funded uh, federally, uh, but it's I wouldn't call it a, I guess technically it's a federal agency. You can't blame it all on the DC police either because they didn't have the right authorities uh, but uh, to coordinate this. Um, but I'm just saying in the net, uh, nothing was blinking red. People did not get the information they are now getting about the inauguration. And the tragedy is uh, there was loss of life. And beyond that, uh, there were the first ever images of our capital Uh, full of people carrying Confederate flags, wearing uh, Nazi uh, shirts, and and sending a message that America has lost control. Well, finally, I just wanted to give you an opportunity, since we have so many congressional staff that do listen to this podcast, is there anything that you would like to say to them about their work and 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 how, how you've interacted with them over your time as CEO and as a member and as a staffer? Well, yeah, I mean, I love the fact that we have a foreign policy school and uh, artificial intelligence school and cyber school on Friday afternoons. Uh, someone suggested the idea to me 
uh, I, I don't know how many years ago, but early in my tenure at Wilson, and I immediately said, we have to do this. We got funding, we got you, Aaron, and we're, we're on a big roll. And why I love it is there was nothing like this when I was a staffer, uh, and even when I was a member. You know, con I often say Congress is not a learning institution. You can go learn by yourself, but nobody brings you courses. Uh, yes, there's the Congressional Research Service, um, as was pointed out to me this week, uh, but it's not the same. It's more reactive. You go there and you say, I want to learn a lot about can a president pardon himself, but people don't package it for you so you learn about the world the way the Wilson Center does, or you learn about the technology. And the, and the Congressional Research Service uses Wilson Center uh, you can see Wilson Center a lot in the footnotes of Congressional Research Service reports. <laughs> Isn't that an irony? Yes. Uh, so we're the we're the backroom for the Congressional Research Service in addition to, to congressional offices. So I, I think it's a it's a gift all around. It's a gift for the Wilson Center too. Uh, we know a lot. We hope we can teach it free from spin. So that's that's one piece. The other piece that I talk about all the time when I introduce your classes, Aaron, is we provide an opportunity in this fractured, polarized, dysfunctional climate, which hopefully will improve, um, resolve under President-elect Biden. Um, we provide an opportunity for staffers to get to know each other. It is astounding to me, every time I do this, that in a class of about 50 staff, bipartisan, bicameral, uh, one person, Max, knows six people in the class. That's just, I think that was the all-time record. Most people know one or two people in the class, which means that people in the same party, possibly on the same floor of one of the office buildings, don't know each other. How is that possible? Uh, and if they don't know each other, just think how members are interacting, as in not. Uh, they fly in, they do votes, they do fundraisers, they fly out. And it's much easier to demonize somebody when you don't know them. And it's much easier to stay in your silo and not venture forth to collaborate if you don't know somebody. So I am thrilled that we have actually promoted friendships. And some of the people listening to this will remember me, you know, pre-quarantine, charging around and saying, Do you, did you know the person you are talking to uh, in this room before you got in this room? And if they say yes, then I say, go talk to someone else. And the, the thing that actually thrills me about that is when I ask people, uh, are you in the same party? And they're talking to each other. And, and often they say, I don't know. How cool is that? If the first question is, do you have a D or R on your forehead? Uh, no. How about the first question being, are we interested in the same material? Um, do we have something substantive to talk about? Wow. Uh, when I was a staffer in another century, we actually had, I actually had friendships across the aisle. And the first thing I asked wasn't, what party are you in? We're certainly proud of the classes that we do uh, for foreign policy and in technology areas. We've seen a lot of bipartisan friendships start up that way. So we know that it, it can work on the Hill and we appreciate the work that the staff do up there. They're kind of the unsung heroes of the Hill. And we, do, we certainly appreciate all the work that they do for our Republic. And let me add to that. We know many of them were in danger. Uh, a week ago. And it was your initiative, Aaron, uh, which I followed through on to send them notes, to offer to be helpful, to say we care, and uh, got some lovely notes back. But 
we want to be helpful and we do care. And it is uh, just shocking that anyone should have had to go through those events of January 6th. And I, our country will have to grow out of it. Whether it will happen quickly, I don't know. Um, but it will happen more quickly if we can build friendships and break down some of the silos and partisanship uh, on Capitol Hill. And uh, I'm certainly dedicated to continue to try to do that. Well, Congresswoman Jane Harmon, the CEO of the Wilson Center, it's an honor to have you join us on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Aaron. And hello out there. Stay strong, stay safe. If you like this episode, check out Podcasts at Wilson. See what we have to offer at wilsoncenter.org slash podcasts.